Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Solar Panel, the Phoenix Sun Show. Hey there, and welcome to a midweek edition of the Sun Solar Panel. I appreciate you guys joining me and listening uh, on this on this episode. Today, I have with me Caitlin Cooper. She writes for IndieCornrows.com. How are you doing, Caitlin? I'm doing well. I'm excited. This is the first time I'm doing anything with anybody from Phoenix, so happy to be introduced to a different part of the NBA sphere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been following your work for a long time. You really should follow Caitlin if you like anything about basketball, um, even though she doesn't follow the Suns, she doesn't cover the Suns. Maybe we can talk her into it if you guys are nice enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Caitlin, let's. Uh, Caitlin covers the Pacers, and the Suns made a trade this past week to get back Tory Craig, who had left after the summer um, off season, and they have seen a couple of games of Jalen Smith in Indiana. And also, the Suns acquired Aaron Holiday this past week, and Aaron Holiday played for the Pacers for his first three years in the league. So we're going to cover all those topics here coming up. First thing, though, Caitlin, I want to talk to you. How's it going with Rick Carlisle in year one back for his next, his second stint in Indiana? I mean, I think I'd have to give it somewhat of a grade of incomplete. I mean, we just recorded a podcast about the last two games that the Pacers played, and it feels like it's an entirely new team. Um, I don't think beforehand, before these trades happened, that the roster was necessarily a complete fit for the ideal way that he would like to play, which is kind of interesting because when I watched him coach in Dallas, I never really saw him necessarily as a system coach. But early going in this season, it felt very much like he was trying to coach the team offensively that he wanted rather necessarily than the team that he had. And to his credit, I thought he made some pretty good adjustments with stuff that they did with Sabonis as the season went on. But They've just lacked in shooting. Like Suns fans might remember this. When the Pacers were recently in Phoenix, um, there was a moment where Chris Paul actually looked at the Pacers bench after they had, I believe, closed out hard on O'Shea Brissett and said, you know, they can't effing shoot, which is true. I mean, the Pacers in three-point percentage have been very low, and most of the time, like, it's it's not even just not having guys who can hit shots. It's not having a lot of credible shooters. So, you know, they exchange what they were getting out of Sabonis, who was drawing so much defensive attention all the time and not having a lot of guys to really spray out to, to now having Halliburton and Heald, who hopefully can correct at least some of their three-point shooting issues. Yeah, no, it's been, it, it definitely was a huge change uh, at the trade deadline. Um, what did you think of, now that it's been broken up and you can talk about it in retrospect a little bit, what did you think was the... Uh, 
did they get the most out of the Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis pairing? Were they just not meant to be together, or was it just not used right? I mean, I think it had become sort of purgatorial where I think most fans were long waiting for them to make a choice. It's just that there was always something lingering in the background, whether it was, I mean, the two of them never started together in a playoff series because they didn't make the playoffs last year. And then prior to that, you know, Sabonis had plantar fasciitis and wasn't in the Mm -hmm. bubble. And when they played the Celtics, Sabonis wasn't a starter yet. So I think that there was probably some hope of seeing what that would look like. And once again, to Rick Carlisle's credit, I, I believe that the net rating for the team was better when both of them were on the court than when it was when it was either of them solo so I mean I think they did about as much with it as it as you could it just has a somewhat limited ceiling and clearly Miles Turner had been very vocal about wanting um, a more prominent role and that was going to be hard to accomplish um, with Sabonis I mean I I can't tend to lean toward the idea that he still struggles to find his own usage and there were spots where he could have gotten more shots within the offense at the four it's just he's more a player who needs to have plays run for him if he's going to get more shots so um, I still don't think I mean I think it was time to break it up but I don't necessarily think that that trade was the Pacers making a choice between Turner and Sabonis I think it was them making a choice of Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I'm guessing in the reverse that the Kings had said, Hey, we will, we want miles Turner and we'll give you Tyrese Halliburton. They're still making that trade. Um, It was just which big that they valued. And it seemed like the league was valuing Sabonis more. And I think cards on the table to what they have both shown Sabonis is the better player um, individually. And in terms of what he can do, Um, not the same caliber of defender that miles Turner is clearly, but um, that's just the way that it shook out. And I think it was more that the Pacers realized we need to go in a new direction. And when you have a chance to get a potentially, you know, franchise caliber point guard, you're going to do that every time. Absolutely. So, yeah, so you've seen before we move on to uh, Suns fans, uh, favorite pieces of the show, let's just talk real quick about Tyrese Halliburton, who uh, (laughs) what's funny is you guys acquired in one day, the guy that the Suns drafted in 2020 and the guy that every Suns fan in the world thought they should have drafted in 2020 in Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> Tell me what you've seen with Tyrese Halliburton so far. And uh, is he worth being a number one draft pick? Yeah. I mean, as, as soon as he debuted or as soon as the trade was made, I wrote an article and that showed up really quick because they played Minnesota and obviously Minnesota's defense is geared around playing you know, they're big Carl Anthony Towns up or above the level. They do a lot of like the trapping high level defense, but for most of the early going of the season, the Pacers guards, predominantly Malcolm Brogdon, like if you blitz them at the end of a game, good results were probably going to happen. Not necessarily just from turnovers, but because the guards stayed on the ball too long. And just in these two games alone, you're seeing how quickly Tyrese Halliburton can get off the ball and make other plays happen for other people. I mean, he does stuff with eye manipulation. He does stuff to shake off ball defenders in ways that the Pacers haven't really had. And then just again, going back to the shooting, I mean, he instantaneously walks in and becomes the best shooter on the Pacers roster. So in ways where you would have seen opponents maybe constantly be ducking under against Karis LeVert or constantly weaking Brogdon to his left hand, um, you have options where Tyrese is going to automatically make the read to stop and pop and pull up from three. And that opens up a lot of different things. And I mean, just looking just from the two big standpoint alone, I mean, Miles Turner isn't playing yet because he's still dealing with the stress reaction, but you know, you look at Sabonis and when he was at the five, the spacing was, you know, Miles Turner's a 33% shooter at the four and mm-hmm. Brogdon and Lavert, who are somewhat shaky shooters. And then whoever they were, you know, patchwork starting at the three because they don't have TJ Warren. Now, when it's Miles Turner, it's going to go from, you know, to Tyrese Halliburton, potentially Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Duarte, 
Um, and then maybe TJ Warren at the four, whoever they choose to, to start. So that's just going to be a lot more spacing, a lot more credibility where maybe taggers aren't going to be squeezing in on miles and his job offensively becomes a little bit easier. So um, already, I mean, Tyrese had almost the 2020 game against Minnesota the other night. And there's a lot of spots where you could point to and be like, Oh, you know, he could have done that better. He could have done this better. And he's already producing to that level. So, yeah. That's awesome. Now you mentioned TJ Warren and, and, and that's funny because you guys have had so many injuries on the Pacers that uh, we almost forget about TJ Warren because he's been out for so long. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't played, I mean, they've talked about this in the past. He only played four games for Nate Bjorker. And so it's almost like he's two coaching staffs ago. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like he's right. back to Nate McMillan. He hasn't even had a chance to be um, acclimated under Rick Carlisle yet. So he hasn't played since December 29th of last year. So um, it, it seems like at a certain point in time, he can't continue to have positive scans and no timetable for return. It feels like one of those things has to give at a certain point in time, but um, he's entering a contract year. So I don't know if we'll see him try to come out and play some games or if, if, if he'll just be out the rest of the year. It seems like there's some optimism that he might play. Yeah, you're good. You're you're talking to a Suns fan who's a little jaded from uh, TJ Warren memories because he spent a lot of time out longer than anyone thought he should have to the point where the coaching staff would um, just be noncommittal uh, whenever, you know, his name came up. Yep, he's looking better. He's, he's uh, you know, he's progressing. And then you just don't get any definitive answer and he's out much longer. Sounds we familiar. Cause, yeah, uh, we thought <laughs> it was because he was trying to play his way out of Phoenix. Um, but maybe that's just, uh, let's just say he just takes longer to fully heal from injuries. We'll just say that. We'll let that one go. I'm sorry you're dealing with TJ Warren and, and uh, his injury issues, but you are very lucky to have Tyrese Halliburton now. And uh, what I'd like to do is move on to uh, someone who doesn't hurt Suns fans in the heart by talking about Jalen Smith. This one is a feel good, actually, even though he's been traded away from Phoenix to Indiana. We all would love to see Jalen Smith succeed as long as he doesn't somehow single-handedly beat the Suns in the playoffs, which could only happen in the finals. And, you know, how bad can that be? Uh, but Jalen Smith, tell, tell me what you've seen of him so far, what you like and what you don't like. Yeah, I mean, he's already stepped in and produced to a degree, which is impressive because I don't think he even got into the wee hours of the morning on Friday when they played that game and he didn't get to go through walkthrough. I think he was just trying to rehearse some stuff with assistant coaches before he stepped in and played. He's splitting some time at the four and the five. And based on what I've seen when I watched him in the games with the Suns, it looked like he was producing better when, you know, Aiton and McGee were out because of COVID protocols and mm -hmm. he was stepping in at the five versus the four. And I think that some of that has shown up. I mean, he's hit a few threes here early on, already made three. I think he made two in the game against Cleveland. Mm -hmm. But it was curious because the Pacers have kind of a log jam now at the center position. They traded a center, but then they got two back. So um, they're trying to test out a lot of different front court combinations over these first two games. And when he is at the four, like when they played Cleveland, sometimes even though he was positionally and functionally spacing out to the four spot or coming off an exit screen, like when Isaiah Jackson was playing, he was still being defended by Jared Allen or, or Evan Mobley. So still being defended by the five. And then that five was kind of roaming off of him as a shooter and into some lanes. But um, I think that with his face up game, the way that it is, it seems like he's not really sure of himself off the dribble and making sometimes they'll, you know, get into the paint and then make a jump pass that kind of tracks him to be more of a center than a four spot. But I'm open to seeing it more long-term given that there's not going to be, 
especially when Miles Turner comes back and Isaiah Jackson is fully healthy. There's probably not going to be a ton of minutes to go around at the five when you also consider that they have Goga Patadze as a first-round pick of their own as well. So right. um, showing a lot as a rebounder in both games, and I thought he was very opportunistic in the Minnesota game in terms of finding cuts away from the ball and behind their trapping defense on the weak side. So I think that there's stuff to like about him, but it's just going to be a matter of finding what his best fit is because I like him in the two-man game. I like him as a screener and a roller. Um, somewhat you guys would have seen with Chris Paul. And, and mm -hmm. you know, there's a difference when anybody runs the pick and roll when, you know, it's Chris Paul, but Tyrese Halliburton does a pretty good job as well at finding mm -hmm. guys on the screen and roll. So um, I'd like to see more of that, but finding those types of minutes isn't going to be easy given what the Pacers roster situation is. That's a bit of a shame. Uh, for From my point of view, I'd love to see Sticks uh, succeed, but he is – he basically what I've what I've compared him to is uh, kind of like a new age Hakeem Warwick. Uh, you're not quite old enough to remember Hakeem, but he basically was a, uh, a forward in a six eight body, really really spindly, and but just didn't have a stretch game at all and played more like a five. It's just that back then small fives weren't in vogue, so he didn't get a lot of time there. Uh, and then uh, maybe like a Rishon Holmes who started out as a four or five combo in his first two or three years until he got to Sacramento and then became a starter. But one of those starters, you're um, you wouldn't mind upgrading like you did, uh, like they did last week uh, to DeMonta Sabonis. So um, I see him as, as a guy who can have a career, <clears throat> but he's got to figure out how to play the four because it's, it's sad uh, uh, that he goes from a team with five centers that he, would have uh, two of them were hurt, but five guys he would have played behind, and then uh, go to Indy with a half a dozen guys he would play behind at center. So hopefully he can work out on at, at the four. Um, in the Sun scheme, the Sun scheme is made much, uh, pretty much like you've got some big wings, and everybody plays like a wing, and everybody switch, switches everything. And so when you've got Jay Crowder as your de facto four, which is a six six, two hundred twenty pound guy, <clears throat> um, who can move and switch and move around perimeter and then just space. That's really not Jalen's game. So he didn't really fit in as a forward here. Hopefully he'll be able to fit in a little bit better as a, as a four for the Pacers when Miles Turner gets to revert back to his, his five spot. So um, with, with Jalen Smith, um, uh, is there any other comments? I'm just, I'm looking at my notes. Any other comments you want to say about um, his debut? I know the fans have, have been like, oh my God, how can the Suns have given this guy up? Um, any other things you see as a, as a, as a future, um, you know, skill for him? Yeah, I thought it was interesting because I saw that there was a quote um, during that stretch when uh, various centers were out for Phoenix where Monty Williams said, you know, coming out of the draft, we kind of pegged him as kind of, you know, a Jeremy Grant guy. And now mm. I see him as more of a center. Um, yeah, I, I, it's tough to say because again, like you're saying, miles will shift to, to the five. It's just a matter of how much respect will Jalen get as a shooter. And then also what you're pointing out, like when they played Minnesota, the Pacers defense has been having a lot of struggles for a while, and especially in these first two games. And they were trying to switch him out in certain circumstances, even when he was at the five. And then they were trying to have him guard Anthony Edwards at a few times and Anthony Edwards ended up scoring like 37 points. I mean, and in their defense, like the Pacers just have no, I mean, they basically don't have a lot of wings right now. So, I mean, they were trying a lot of different things versus switches and what matchups they were trying to use there. And it wasn't as if the other options were really faring any better. It's just, um, it's like what you're saying. I mean, they just have a lot of guys. I mean, they don't necessarily have a ton of depth at the four. When TJ Warren's back, if they start him at the four, that's somebody O'Shea Brissett's been starting at the four. So that's where the minutes are going to come from. So it's just going to be, 
what he looks like down the stretch and then also what his contract situation is because Phoenix didn't, you know, opt into the third year. So if he does pop with the Pacers, it's going to make it more difficult to re-sign him. So um, it's kind of both sides of the coin there. You want him to come and play well and get opportunity. But if he does come and play well and get opportunity, he may not still be on on the team next year if he has any sort of market come this summer. So yeah, that's what we talked about a lot. That's a, yeah, what we talked about, sorry to interrupt you. Um, That's what we talked about a lot too here is once the Suns decided not to guarantee year three, which is unheard of, Kiss, do you know, Caitlin, who are the last three players uh, from first round to be taken that were not guaranteed year three? Well, I know that the Pacers did it with Solomon Hill and then Solomon Hill played out of his mind in the series against the Raptors and then got handed a massive contract that summer that I'm sure the Pacers are glad they couldn't match. (laughs) (laughs) It happened the last two times. I think Solomon Hill must have been drafted earlier than 2009 then because the last two prior to Jalen Smith were um, Earl Clark and Kendall Marshall, both sons draftees as well under uh, Robert Sarver, the owner. Um, not that Sarver's the guy who wants to cut off uh, rookies, but certainly he uh, he has his own issues with um, with wanting to spend money that doesn't, doesn't really go anywhere. Um, so Jalen Smith is not guaranteed year four, and, or excuse me, not guaranteed year three. He's going to be a free agent this summer. The most you can offer is $4.7 million. We talked about this a lot because um, – if he pops, yeah, he might be worth more than four point seven million. But can you can you really imagine a market where a Jalen Smith is going to be one of those guys that the few teams that have money would actually target? Uh, I did talk to a couple of insiders around the league, and they said, "Well, yeah, but every team is going to have the mid level. Anybody can offer him more than four point seven, but it's still it's still kind of a stretch." So um, I'm hoping for you guys' sake and for his sake, he finds a role on this team. And gets enough, you know, gets a small enough contract that he stays with your team and and, and pops and plays well because uh, I do think he's got he's got a role in the future, but he doesn't have like a starring role. So we'll see if that if that ever develops. Hey, let's take just a minute to talk about our friends at DraftKings. Hoop fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is just too good to pass up. We're talking Chris Paul no look to Mikael Bridges cut into the rim good. We're talking DeAndre Aiden feathery hook shot good. We're talking Devin Booker jump shot good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if you win. It's that simple. Everyone plays for huge cash prizes every single day on DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total cash prizes with your first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN to bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if you win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Got to be 21 plus. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN red line 1-800-889-7, excuse me, 9789. In Connecticut, call 888 888- 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369. Okay, let's move on 
to Tory Craig. Uh, Tory Craig, you only had him half a year. Suns only had him half a year, and now the Suns have him back. So, what did you like, and and what did you? Uh, were you surprised that? Well, you probably weren't surprised that Tory Craig was traded because that's kind of the way Indy's uh, season was going and, and approaching the trade deadline. But how did you think he played for the Pacers? Yeah, I mean, I think unfortunately for Tory, there was moments where he was getting pressed into having to do more than clearly he'll have to do in Phoenix, in part because the Pacers had the types of injuries that he had, or they would need him to start at the four spot. So, like, just as an example, here not long before the trade deadline, they played the Magic, and the only starter the Pacers had available was Karis LeVert. And I think that Tory ended up scoring. Yeah, he had he went eight of sixteen from the field and had twenty two points in that game. But there was moments in the first half where he was having to like you know create an attack against to switch on against Wendell Carter Jr. So there would be moments in games this year where you'd see him doing stuff of, off of handoffs or as a pick and roll ball handler in part because you know the the Pacers offense expects a lot of people to be able to dribble pass and shoot especially in the early going of the year so sometimes he would get pressed into doing that and I think that that kind of expects him to punch above his weight class a little bit in certain respects but then on the other hand of that like they go into Boston in the first game and uh the Celtics are really switching and trapping DeMontis Sabonis and Tori shows that like, Hey, I used to play in Denver around Nikola Jokic and I can cut and I can make shots mm-hmm. out of double teams. And I know where I need to be and had that type of veteran setting in a way that what I said earlier, like sometimes where, you know, Miles Turner talks about being a glorified role player and wanting to get more shots. Like Tori came in and got the same amount of shots as Sabonis had in that game, simply by knowing and being able to find and create his own Make opportunities. Available. Yeah. Exactly. So um, defensively, there were moments where you could point at the end of games, unfortunately, where two or three times he got beat on uh, pretty easy curls that kind of created bad situations. Like in Denver, he thought he knew what the Nuggets play was and he tried to jump it. And then they ended up giving up a wide open look to Jeff Green under the basket. So he had some of those moments that I was a little bit surprised happened. But then also like he's he's a pretty smart defender and that, you know, you can throw him against DeMar DeRozan in Chicago. And in times like, you know, they didn't always want to put Sabonis on the five man. They'd switch that match up so that they could switch everything so you know Sabonis might be playing off the ball and Torrey Craig would be the person communicating like let's pre-switch this on you know the approach of the screen so that we can keep Sabonis out of it and he would be the guy kind of orchestrating that and communicating it um, the Pacers just didn't have a lot of guys they can throw at wings so he was important in that setting for them and that's in part why they signed him because they knew that TJ Warren might be out for a time and they needed that um he did more on the offensive glass than I was expecting to see from him. He got a lot of hustle um, plays in that regard. Um, but, I mean, I just didn't have a lot of complaints about him. It just made sense for the Pacers to move on because it wasn't going to fit the timeline. And by switching him with Jalen Smith, they get off the second year of Torrey's contract and they got a second-round pick. So, um, right. I, I didn't have many complaints about what Torrey Craig did in a Pacer uniform. Now, likely that second round pick the Suns gave up is a 22 second round pick right. does not appear to have any protections. I mean, I've looked around to see if any site is commenting on protections. I don't think it has any. So if somehow um, the Suns start losing, you could, could end up being a pretty good second round pick, but probably it's going to be in the 55 to 60 range, maybe, maybe 59 or 60, but it's still an asset you didn't have. And like you said, you got off the second year of Tory Craig's contract. He is guaranteed 5 million a year for this and the next year, basically replacing the Jalen Smith uh, contract uh, that would have been quote unquote would have been if they had guaranteed year three. And um, Tory now gives the Suns more of what they were looking for as a, as a three, four combo 
uh, wing. Now, Suns fans only saw Torrey Craig, like I said, for half a season this past year. And what we saw was what came out of Denver, which was a guy who was who literally just stayed within himself all the time. He got the offensive rebounds. He would get the great leak outs. He would cut to the basket. Great on those things. But as far as on-ball creation, he had zero. Uh, his, his job was just pass it on if he caught it and he wasn't in shooting you know position um he was very little offensive creation at all um but he was a great dirt worker and he was wonderful as a 15 minute a game fourth wing for the suns last year and he's going to be able to do that again this year but what we've seen in the first game we saw him one game on saturday against orlando admittedly the one of the worst teams in the league um but we saw more offensive flow from Torrey Craig in that game than we had seen last year at all. And so I want to thank the Pacers opportunity for him uh, for giving him more, as you just um, outlined, Caitlin, the uh, uh, giving him more of a chance to uh, to do things and to, to know what he's good at and what he's not, because he does seem like a pretty smart guy as far as he's not going to go way out of his way. He actually grabbed a re- defensive rebound, dribbled it all the way down, did a Euro step layup uh, to finish at the rim and we had not seen anything like that he scored like 14 points in his debut back with the suns and monty williams after the game said he was thrilled he's like yeah it looks like he's much more willing to take that shot right away and do something with the ball than he was a year ago so uh suns fans have that to thank for tory and that does help make his his salary even more valuable for us so um that's thank you for sharing that on on just the indies um Injuries gave gave Tory a lot of more chance to touch the ball than he had in his previous tints. Uh, any other comments on Tory before we go to Aaron Holiday? No, just that. And then there's another thing too about him that I mean, just recently they were on a road trip in New Orleans, and their centers are young. I mean, Isaiah Jackson and Goga both are, and they were jumping on everything against Jonas Valanciunas to the point where Rick Carlisle coming out of the second half didn't start any of the bigs, even though Jonas Valanciunas was out there. So Torrey Craig's having to be in there and just really battling and having to front him on every possession. And he's doing it, you know, um, to the best of his effort. And again, I think that just speaks of what type of player he is and what he's willing to do from a team standpoint. So I'm sure in addition to Torrey already having familiarity with the Suns locker room, um, he's just not a guy who's going to come in and upset the apple cart in any sort of way. I think he just does what the coaching staff asks of him, even if it's outside of what most people probably think he's capable of doing. That's a great comment. And and what's extremely important to James Jones, we're finding, is that midseason, he's barely made any moves midseason in his first three years with the Suns. Uh, but when he has, it's been entirely toward lock, good locker room guys. Uh, guys who won't upset the apple cart, won't come in. Like the Suns had an opportunity to trade Jalen Smith for uh, Dennis Schroeder straight up uh, from Boston, who was on an expiring and would not have forced the Suns to spend $5 million in the next year. Uh, but they declined, and I don't know exactly the reasons for it because Dennis Schroeder is healthy and all that, but my guess is that they were worried that he wouldn't quite fit in the locker room because uh, the Suns have a perfect locker room right now. They're they're on a roll and they love each other and they wanted somebody to come back in who would just fit and not uh, uh, fit out. What is it? What did LeBron say one time? We want you to fit in, not fit out. Yeah. yeah. I think he was, I think that was a subtweet of Kevin Love, I think. (laughs) It was. (laughs) Kevin Love, who has redeemed himself this year as one of the best six men in the game after years of, of what the heck is he doing? Um, Okay. Let's move on. Speaking of locker room guys, we don't know anything about Aaron Holiday. You had three years to watch him closely, uh, and then this, uh, the Pacers traded him this past year in a 
multi, I don't know, was it a 10-team trade? I don't know. It felt like it was at least four <laughs> teams. Uh, he was traded to Washington for his fourth year in the league, uh, his fourth uh, on his rookie contract, and then uh, now traded to the Suns. Tell us what we should know, Suns fans should know about Aaron Holiday. Yeah, I mean, Aaron, I haven't seen a ton of him with the Wizards this year to know how he progressed in certain categories, but mostly what I walked away from when he finished his last season under Nate Bjorken was that he's an undersized combo guard. Um, I think he's better off. Like, the prior season under Nate McMillan, um, he was mostly playing off the ball. Like, one of their best lineups that year was TJ McConnell, Aaron Holiday at the two with Justin and Doug McDermott and Sabonis. So um, they'd run a ton of floppy with Justin and Doug McDermott kind of swirling around. TJ McConnell's, you know, stirring the drink with Sabonis also out there as a pivot point. And then all he really needed to do was be able to focus on being a scorer and do catch and shoot threes. There wasn't a lot expected of him in those lineups to make reads. Then when they made the switch from Nate McMillan to Nate Bjorkren and because of what their injury situations was his role was yanked all over the place so when the season started and tj warren was out he was effectively starting at the three spot so like wow. when they played the suns he would be guarding mikhail bridges which is asking aaron way, holiday yeah is asking way too much of aaron holiday in that particular setting plus you know they were just going with so many ty- different types of defensive schemes like in that game they were playing triangle and two they'd play box and one um and just adjust their pick and roll coverages fairly frequently within a game so um but his role from there, like after they figured out, like starting him at the three in the spot up role isn't really going to work. Then he went back to the bench with TJ McConnell. And then toward the back end of the season, Edmund Sumner really started to pop. So then Aaron mm-hmm. just kind of fell out of the rotation, never really had a bunch of consistent opportunities, which I think affected him. But at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily say that he came to his own rescue. Um, when he got out there, it was like when he had an opportunity to play, he was trying to really make an impression as a scorer. And sometimes he would force stuff. I mean, in the pick and roll when he orchestrates it, he doesn't have great placement of pocket passes, but beyond that, his read just isn't necessarily there of when he needs to pass versus when he needs to shoot. And his finishing has been like, I think his finishing has been better this year with the wizards about 10 percentage points, but he's also not getting to the rim as frequently. So maybe he's being a little bit more selective with what shots he's taking. Cause there's been times where like last year, I remember they were on the road in Utah and he would, you know, basically be using kamikaze drives against Rudy Gobert that had no chance <laughs> because he was trying to make an impression. And like, I don't think he fully understood like the way you're going to make an impression is to go in there and play within the team system. And sometimes he would play outside of himself a little bit because I think he was just trying to get minutes back that he had lost and that were more regularly his. I mean, TJ McConnell had shoved him off the reserve point guard spot, but he was a regular part of the rotation under Nate McMillan to the point where he was starting at times in the bubble when Sabonis was out of the lineup. And I think, you know, he leans needs to lean on a floater a little bit more than the layup because of what his finishing is. So they would have him like on the right side of the floor in spot up situations. If he could get to his left um, and use his body as a shield that helped them somewhat. But I am really interested to see how his playmaking will improve just having Chris Paul at practice every day and just being able to witness um, him as a lead point guard. And maybe that will, um, speed up what reads he makes and and correct some of that from what it was, at least in Indiana. Yeah. I wonder, I I, I'm wondering what role he's going to have in Phoenix as well Uh, in the moment, in this exact moment, because, uh, and for the rest of this month, Cameron Payne has had a, um, a turned ankle. And so he hasn't played and the Suns have been stuck with, 
playing Alfred Payton any non-Chris Paul minutes at point guard. And Alfred Payton can be painful to watch. He has good games every once in a while, but he can be pretty painful to watch. He certainly can't shoot. He won't shoot. Um, and uh, that that makes it tough on a Suns offense where you, if you're point guard, the guys holding the ball won't shoot on a pick and roll or even run pick and rolls very much. Um, so that's been tough. Chris Paul has been playing 37, 38 minutes a night without campaign in the lineup. So having an Aaron Holiday in there can be helpful as another body who can who can handle the ball. Now, what we did, what we, I can't believe I just said that, what the Suns did with um, Javon Carter in years past and other guys who were more combo guards than, than uh, small combo guards than point guards is, you put a Devin Booker out there next to him or Chris Paul out there next to him and, and not have them uh, hold the ball too much and still be a catch and shoot option. Javon Carter kind of made a role for himself in the bubble a couple of years ago as that kind of guy, even next to campaign when campaign was healthy. Um, so that may be what they are looking for for Aaron holiday is more of the, what you said, the off ball catch and shoot um, on motion and stuff like that on movement or just standing there and making yourself available uh, might be all they're asking of him. But in the immediate term, they are going to need him to be a little bit more of a point guard. Um, he's an upgrade over Javon Carter. And again, my bar is low, but he's an upgrade over Javon Carter as a playmaker and a finisher at the rim. He's he's making 60% at the rim this year, which is um, uh, high compared to Alfred Payton, Landry Shamit, Javon Carter that we've seen the Suns have as a, as a tertiary play uh, playmaker. So in that respect, he'll be he'll be an improvement. Uh, but long term, I think like playoff level, if he's playing in the playoffs, it's going to be as a as an off guard in a in a too small too smalls lineup. Um, so I'm really curious how that is. Tell me what he's like as a teammate. What did you guys glean from him as a, as a teammate in, in 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 Indiana? Yeah, I mean, I think that of all of the players, he seemed rather frustrated at during exit interviews last year in terms of just not having consistent opportunity. But I think that was somewhat understandable. I mean, um, just as an example, like Nate Bjorken kept leaning on a lineup uh, last year that had TJ McConnell and Jeremy Lamb and Aaron and Doug McDermott and Sabonis. So very little defense in it. And they were in Atlanta mm-hmm. and they would have Aaron Holiday matched up with Danilo Gallinari. Like he might be even, yeah. I mean, though these this was legitimate things that happened regularly last season. Where you would just scratch your head and be like, "Why is this a thing that I'm watching right now?" So because it was yanked all over the place, you could kind of tell that he wanted a fresh start. But at the same time, I don't think anyone would have said that he was being, you know, that he was the cause of any sort of disruption in the locker room. I just think that there was so much going on last year that um, it just getting out of that environment, I'm sure made a difference. Um, I think he can be somewhat of an erratic player, but he's also capable of having, you know, big games here and there. I mean, he did that for the Pacers where late games, he made some big shots along with his brother that ended up helping them close out whenever Nate McMillan was there. He had a couple big games whenever Nate McGorkin was there and he had to step up as a starting point guard in a few instances. So he's capable of that. And like you said, the bar is fairly low with Alfred Payton. It was funny when the Pacers were in Phoenix because their defense has been so messy lately that they had a switch where they ended up with two people on the ball, which effectively trapped Alfred Payton. And then Biombo was picking them apart on the short roll in that game. And I looked at afterwards and that was the only time that Alfred Payton had been trapped all year. Yeah, that was the only time that Alfred Payton had been trapped all year was just on that particular (laughs) possession when I looked on Synergy the next morning. He's probably like, woohoo, I could get it get the ball out. (laughs) Yep, exactly. It's probably the most defensive attention he's seen in a while. But yeah, I mean just Aaron and and overall like 
they had a lot of wholesome content between him and Justin being on the same team. And I think that that helped both of them in specific ways, especially in the Nate McMillan season, because, you know, Justin had kind of traditionally been somebody who shot better in the corners than above the break. And Aaron was somebody who needed to improve at finding the corners. So just, you know, having your brother on the floor at the same time, I think made him a little bit more cognizant of where Justin was on the floor and opened some of that up for him. And then they would kind of have some moments on uh, Justin had started a YouTube channel when they were in the bubble and you would see like the two of them watching drew play games like they would stream them and watch them together and um just always really enjoyed the holidays i think if you can get a holiday on your team you should probably do it well there's three of them so you know there's, there's a pretty good <laughs> chance although you guys hoarded two of them for a few years uh justin now is in sacramento um and so hopefully he'll do well there uh, although i don't know if he'll be able to play home games but that's a whole nother i don't want to get into all that right now uh but aaron is in phoenix and he seems like he's going to be happy he it is funny mikhail bridges told a story in practice after practice yesterday that his his the only thing he knows about aaron holiday is having played um pre-college like one of those rec league things or AAU maybe it was and he kept he, he aaron holiday was in the game and he kept looking at him because he was friends with drew or he knew Drew. It was a fan of Drew. He wasn't friends with Drew. He knew Drew. And he kept looking at Aaron Holiday. And then finally, he's like, yeah, he's my brother. Because <laughs> 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 they look so much alike. They do. Um, yeah. So hopefully, they'll, uh, hopefully, um, Aaron will have a good influence on, on the Suns as well or fit in really well with the Suns. This is a really good opportunity for him to not overplay his role, not be put in a position to necessarily defend Danilo Gallinari or, or someone like that. Um, he's going to be kept in a, in a role that he can, he can fill as long as he's not dying for minutes, he'll be happy uh, because he's not going to get a ton of minutes if, if campaign and, and uh, Chris Paul are both healthy, um, but he is a great necessary uh, backstop in case they're not like right now for the next few weeks. So we'll see a lot of Aaron holiday before the, before March. Um, is there any, any other stories about Aaron that um, we should know, or like, if you see uh, like him do something, Oh, that's so Aaron holiday, like on the, on the court, is, is there any like signature kind of thing that he does that you're like, uh, that's him. One thing that I remember very specifically of him de defensively, and, and again, like the, the systems between Nate McMillan and Nate Bjorken were very different. And I think it helped him under Nate McMillan because like, you know, teams will hunt him a little bit because he is smaller. He, he battles, but um, like in the bubble, LeBron would hunt him and, and bring a screen up so that he could go against the smaller defender. But Nate McMillan would always use hedge and recover, whereas Nate Bjorken wanted to more of just full switch out. But Aaron's the type of guy who will pressure full court. Like you can unleash him to do that. And there would be times where he would be so pesty that he would draw offensive fouls from guys just shoving him off in transition. And that was always <laughs> like kind of a signature Aaron thing that um, he might be a guy that because he was pesty enough, you'd be like, well, he frustrated another, another point guard into getting an offensive foul. Um, so that, that's kind of something that I vividly remember of him. And then just how much he, re he relies on his floater over his finishing. But um yeah, I hope good things for him. I hope that he can get some good minutes in Phoenix and a system and an environment that seems like, you know, just kind of a warm blanket when you watch the Phoenix Suns. That's how I always feel when I watch that team play. Oh, man. It's just uh, it's just so night and day. I, I keep pointing this out to, to folks who, who aren't totally in the in the middle of this, and even people who are in the middle of this. Just three, literally three years ago, three years ago today, Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden, and Mike, Mikkel Bridges – we're in the middle of a 17-game losing streak that would drop their record to 11 and 50. 
unbelievable, wow. right? Just three years later, their finals, uh, they've been in the finals and they have the best record in the league and they're doing uh, multiple 10 plus game win streaks. So it's pretty crazy how things have turned around. Thanks to Monty Williams and Chris Paul. Um, one thing I, um, Aaron might learn from Chris Paul is how to defend in the post. Cause he, uh, Chris Paul, they, they try to get Chris Paul in the post sometimes to other teams, uh, to break down the sun's defense in some way, pull Aiden out of the paint and, uh, with a big, uh, out on the wing and then post up Chris Paul. Chris Paul just punches the ball away from these guys. Half the time he, he wins that battle. And, uh, maybe Aaron will have to, have to learn something like that. Caitlin, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you. Um, uh, tell us where we can find you around the webs and on the Twitters and all that. My pleasure. My handles, as it's shown here, at C2 underscore Cooper. And then I'm at Indy Cornrows, which is the SB Nation Indiana Pacers blog about twice a week. And then we have podcasts twice a week there as well. Caitlin is really great about, about breaking down X's and O's. If you want to learn basketball a little bit better, listen to Caitlin. Uh, this It's great stuff. Thank you. My name is Dave King. Uh, you can find me at Dave King NBA. My writing is at brightsideofthesun.com, the other SB Nation site uh, for, for the Suns on, on basketball. And obviously this podcast we do twice a week and, and uh, once a week on, on YouTube live. So thank you all everybody for coming in, for listening. I really appreciate your time. Caitlin, you have a great day and Suns fan, we will talk to you.